Thanks, everybody. Hey, uh, so if you know me at all, uh, you know that when I like something, I tend to get really into it, like obsessive a little bit, uh, and just kind of throw uh, all of myself into it. So from that, you know that I've never really gotten into working out because I wouldn't look the way that I still look now. Because uh, when I find something, I really go uh, completely into it. Uh, part of that, I think, is my personality, is that I'm really competitive. Uh, and things I do, I can make anything into a competition. When my 11-year-old Callie back there and I, when we play soccer together in the backyard, we're trash-talking each other the whole time. So it's just one of those things that it's hard to turn off just going fully into it. But also my personality uh, just tends to really like things. Like when I find something I like, I really like it. Um, so soccer is one of those things. I love soccer. I talk about soccer all the time. I coach way more teams than any person should ever coach in soccer. I love edible arrangement smoothies, and if you've like been talking to me lately, you know I talk about that constantly. I'm a big Google fan. I love Google. Uh, Apple's fine. Uh, I just don't like uh, paying more money for stuff that doesn't do as much, so that's just... Um, this is my thing. Um, and I'm a huge fan of Taco Bell. If you know me, you know that I love Taco Bell. I love Taco Bell so much, uh, they should pay me for how much I talk about them, like, constantly. Like, I literally, uh, this is a little embarrassing, I literally fill out the surveys at the store because I'm just passionate about making their stores better. Because <laughs> uh, I, I really love them so much. So last week, Jason got to share his foodie story. Uh, in Chicago, uh, the caviar on ice and the edible gourmet balloon and everything, but someday I'll have to tell you my story about this taco that's wrapped inside another taco. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's, it's really good. I can talk to you about it afterwards, but uh, yeah, I absolutely love Taco Bell, uh, but whatever it is that I like, I tend to throw myself into it, it where if I'm not careful, uh, I can quickly burn out on that uh, within a short period of time which is how seven years into being a pastor, I found myself in this strange place. I found myself in this place as a pastor where I was just completely fried. I was burned out, I was exhausted, and I couldn't find much happiness in my day or in my week or, or just in my life in general. I was in a bad place, and I didn't really know what to do about it. Uh, so I went to go talk to a counselor about it. Uh, which was just absolutely wonderful. And just as a side note, I don't know what your background is. Um, I've come across families of all sorts, uh, had all sorts of different relationships to counseling. Uh, but if you come from a family that it's like you don't really talk about your stuff, I would really consider, uh, ask you to consider reevaluating that because talking to counselors is really amazing. And we have a lot of great counselors here in this church as well. So uh, hear this, talk to a counselor, it's pretty great. So anyway, so I was in this place of burnout uh, and kind of depression and I sat down with my counselor and just started talking to him about life. And he, he says, okay, Ryan, like, tell me about life. Tell me about your life. Tell me about how you are doing right now. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, the church is kind of in a funk right now. And, and he's like, wait, 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 don't tell, I just want to hear about you. Tell me about how you are doing. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Well, a couple people, you know, we've had a couple families leave the church recently, and that's been tough. And, uh, you know, it's been hard finding kids volunteers lately, and that's kind of discouraging. And I don't really know if my sermons are connecting the way that I hope that they would be connecting. And he stops me, and he says, Ryan! He says, do you hear yourself? I'm like, yeah, I was born with this voice. It's kind of embarrassing. Like, my dad's got a radio voice. I got this squirrely thing. It just is what it is. But unfortunately, yes, I hear myself. No, he's like, no, Ryan, uh, you, do you even know who you are? 
apart from being the pastor of your church? Do you even know who you are anymore? And it hit me that I, I didn't. Like who I was, I was Ryan. I wasn't just Ryan, I was Ryan the pastor of the church. And all of my thoughts about myself and all of my uh, thoughts on, on happiness or sadness was revolved around the church. If the church was going well, I was doing well. If the church wasn't going well, I wasn't doing well. My counselor looked at me and he's like, you're so wrapped up in what you're doing, you don't know who you are anymore. So he recommended, he's like, you need to take some time and you need to step away. And when you step away, you need to step away and you need to figure out what it means that Ryan exists as a father. You need to figure out what it means that Ryan exists as a husband. That Ryan exists just as a human being apart from all of these roles that you have in your life. And you need to figure out what it means that Ryan exists as a child of God. I'd gotten so wrapped up in the things I was doing, I didn't know who I was anymore. And I tell this story because I don't think it's just me. I don't think this is just my story. I think it's something that happens to us more generally than that. Uh, the author Ruby Payne in her book Bridges Out of Poverty talks about how our culture affects some of this and that uh, the cultural questions we ask ourselves says a lot about what we think about what is important to us. And she talks about the cultures among the different classes in the United States. And among the poverty class, she says the, the question that is most commonly asked, like if you show up at a party or you show up at a place and there's new people you haven't met before, right, and you're trying to find out who they really are, what, how do you really get to know them, the, the question in poverty class that's most often asked is, where do you live? Or where are you from? Right, because in that class, there's not the, the, the freedom of resources to be able to just move wherever you want. And so where you're from uh, becomes a very important part of who you are and what your identity is. Right, so this is why uh, if you follow a lot of musical artists that have come from tough backgrounds, a lot of them have a high level of attachment to where they're from. They sing about their neighborhoods, they sing about their area codes or their zip codes, right? There's a high level of attachment to their identity there. Among the wealth class, which is defined as uh, generational wealth, wealth that's been inherited and passed on from generation to generation, the question that's asked, if you really want to get to know who somebody is, is who are you related to? Or what is your last name? Or what family are you a part of? Because in that culture, there is so much attached to uh, the money and the prestige and the reputation that's been handed on from generation to generation. But in the middle class, there's a third question that if you ask someone, if you're meeting them for the very first time and you want to get to know them, anybody want to guess what that question in the middle class is? What do you do? What do you do? Yeah, you meet somebody for the first time. Hey, I'm Ryan. What's your name? Great. What do you do? Right? Sometimes that's a question as a pastor I try and avoid uh, because then I get the reciprocal question. Then I have to tell them I'm a pastor and they get all weird with me. Uh, but generally speaking, that's the question we want to know about people. We want to ask, what do you do? But the problem is, is that question points out that the tasks that we set our hands to, the things that we set out to do in life, too easily come to define core parts of who we are. We come to be defined by the things that we do, the tasks that we have, the passions that drive us, the way we fill our time, instead of just who we are. As a pastor, you can begin to see yourself as a reflection of nothing more than the church. As a student, maybe it's your GPA is the thing that you begin to define yourself by. As a businesswoman, 
Maybe it's just the bottom line of how your company's doing at any given point in time, what your profitability rates are. As a stay-at-home parent, you begin to see yourself uh, just through the lens at times of how well your children are behaving or how much of a mess your house is or isn't at any given point in time. Right? So easily we can get wrapped up in seeing ourselves through the lens of what we do and how well we do it. And we need, frankly, like my counselor said, we need to step away from that so we can find out more about who we really are. It's with that goal that uh, God gives us the rhythm of the Sabbath. God gives us the rhythm of the Sabbath uh, as an intentional practice in our life that can move us from focusing on what it is that we do to focusing on who it is that we are and who it is that we should be. So the word Sabbath is an interesting thing. So as I talk about Sabbath, uh, there may be some of you in here that you've heard it and you have all sorts of thoughts attached to it. There may be some of you in here that have never heard it before. And it's an interesting word because it's not really a word we use in the English language apart from kind of these church concepts, right? It's a word that came out of the Bible. Uh, and when they're translating the Bible, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, right? And so uh, the, the translators of the Bible have gone through and they've translated from the Hebrew into the English so we can understand the things that they're talking about, right? But in the passages re regarding the Sabbath, most of the time, instead of translating the word Sabbath into what it means in the English, uh, because there was already so much meaning attached to it uh, for the cultures at the time, they just left it as the word Sabbath, right? The word in Hebrew is Shabbat, uh, which they basically just took it and spelled it into English and made it the word Sabbath, right? So because of that, uh, we kind of define Sabbath uh, by saying it's, it, it's the Sabbath, right? We define it by itself because there's not deeper meaning that has been given to us in our English language, right? Uh, so that leads to a lot of confusion. For some people, when we talk about the Sabbath, uh, it comes down to just this religious obligation of going to church, right? And when we talk about the Sabbath, it's the day that you're supposed to go to church, Right? Anybody have that experience growing up? The Sabbath was the day you go to church. And there are some debates about whether that day should be Saturday or whether that day should be Sunday. And, you know, there's some people that that's a very important debate for, to f for them to figure out what it means. But the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath holy means you need to go to church uh, once a week on Saturday or Sunday, right? Uh, growing up in my family... Um, we were, I was a pastor's kid, uh, which means, like, we were always in church, which means we thought we were, like, doing the Sabbath thing amazing, right? Like, we had that down. Uh, if Sabbath meant going to church, we were there, so we did a pretty good job. But we also believed it meant doing other things. The Sabbath also meant for us that you rest, that you don't work. Uh, but that also wasn't a problem for us because we were already in church every day, so uh, we didn't really have any work that we could be going to. But it also meant, uh, in our family, that resting meant that you didn't do anything that would be, like, physically exhausting. So because of that, uh, I wasn't allowed to play travel soccer as a kid because our travel soccer games were on Sunday. And to this day, I'm bitter uh, that that is the only reason I probably didn't grow up to be a professional soccer player. <laughs> uh, it certainly wasn't my lack of, of speed and athleticism that led to it, but... Uh, yeah, so, so we had this very specific picture of what Sabbath meant for us. And we thought we were doing a fantastic job of living out the Sabbath. But once I was able to study the Sabbath and really dive into the Bible and see what it's all about, uh, I began to understand that we, I think we misunderstood it a bit, and began to misunderstood that instead of pastors actually being the best, at, best uh, honorers of the Sabbath, because they're always in church, I actually think 
that pastors might be the worst people at understanding and honoring the concept of the Sabbath. So let's look into how we get to there. Uh, the first concept we see, the, the first way that the Sabbath comes to us in the Bible is in the story of creation in Genesis chapter 2, uh, where God is working on things. It says this in Genesis 2, 2 and 3. It says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Okay, so God's been working six days and getting all the creation the way that he wants it in the story, and then on the seventh day, he rests. And that makes sense because it's really good to rest after six days of hard work, right? We, we get that, and we would say that, uh, you know, resting, relaxing, recharging, those are all really healthy things, and we can be thankful that God set forward the pattern of making sure that you get some time to rest and recharge. And I do think that's in here. But the interesting thing is in this passage, just these two verses right, right here back to back, uh, we see in the second sentence, sentence there, it says, so on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Well, the word rested there is actually different from the word rested in that last sentence there. In the English, we use rested to talk about both of them, but in the original Hebrew language, those are actually two separate words. And the first word does have a lot of the meanings of rested, relaxing, recharging, all of those things that we think of with resting. But in the second, the second time it's used there, uh, it has a different meaning. So that sentence says, Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested. That word rested there, Shabbat, Sabbath, actually means uh, to cease from doing something. God stopped. God ceased. Refrained. So we're told God rested after six days, but he blessed the day, not just because he rested, but he blessed the day because he stopped the working. And the stopping of the working is important. I've always thought it was interesting that we talk about the seven days of creation instead of the six days of creation. Right? Because uh, in the story, there's six days of work being done, and then, the, and then there's a day of resting after that. But the important thing is the number seven uh, in this Hebrew culture was the number of wholeness, completeness, perfection, right? And so we're seeing that the work that God set out to do was not complete, was not whole, was not good and perfect until there was stopping from that work. If it was just six days of doing thing, it would not have been good as seven days with making sure that there was stopping. Okay, so we have this idea that, that resting is important, recharging is important, but also stopping from doing the things we're doing. Okay, the concept comes to us next in Exodus 20. This is in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 28 through 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day. Okay, so by now we're actually using the word Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall work, labor, and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So we're using the word Sabbath here, and again, it's talking about rest on some level, but it's also talking about a day of stopping, a day of ceasing. It goes back to the Sabbath word and not back just to the resting word, that it's important that we move forward and we have a day where we stop, where we refrain, where we back off of the things that we're doing. It's really interesting as this passage moves forward. It says this, On that day, you should not do any work. Okay, we get that. Resting, recharging, we get that. On this day, you should not do any work, neither you, nor your son nor daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals. At this point, the cows all cheer. They went nuts. They've been pushing for this, and they're like negotiations for years. They finally got it. 
Um, it's very healthy for them. Uh, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Okay, so in this wrestling process, uh, it makes sense for us to talk about, all right, nobody should work just nonstop. You've got to be able to take breaks. You've got to be able to rest. You've got to be able to recharge. You've got to be able to replenish. But this goes beyond that because it's not just talking about us. Suddenly, it's talking about the other people we know, the other people we're interacting with, and it's even talking about the animals that we have that work for us. Now, on one level, there's something really beautiful here about this reference for how much God cares about creation. And we can make the case, and I think it's a good case, that God wants animals to rest just like he wants people to rest, right? There is goodness in the resting and recharging. But there's more going on here because I think that if back then, instead of having animals that work their fields, I think if they had robots that worked their fields, God also would have told them that their robots couldn't do any work on that day as well, right? And robots don't need breaks. Robots can just keep going and going. But there's something about this that it's not about just the resting and recharging. There's something more going on. Because God knows us. And he knows that we may, if we do find time to rest and recharge, it doesn't mean that we've let go of the vision. It doesn't mean we've let go of the impulse to continue to do more and more and to have more and more, right? Like if I see this and I'm being honest with myself, if I'm a business leader, I'm saying, okay, I'm supposed to rest once a week. That's good for me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I'm resting on Mondays and Jeremy's resting on, two day, uh, on Tuesdays and Vince is resting on Wednesdays and we're going to take turns and we're going to make sure that together we make money all of those days together, Right? Don't stop the business. You keep, you keep the business grinding even if you have to take a break. And if we have animals or if we have robots, we're going to keep those suckers going because we'll get my rest in. Yeah, but I'm not going to let go of that bigger dream, that bigger passion, right? But I believe that's what this is really about. It's not just about resting. It's about letting go. See, there's a third movement to this Sabbath thing. And the last movement here uh, is from Sabbath day to Sabbath year. Okay, so Sabbath day, they had six days and then they rested on the seventh. But there was this other concept of the Sabbath year, which they had six normal years and then the seventh year was a Sabbath year, which that sounds fantastic. An entire year? Come on, that's amazing, right? So they had this Sabbath year. So six years they would work and they would work the fields like normal. But in the seventh year... In the Sabbath year, it wasn't just about uh, resting and making sure they get good rest in their cots and whatnot. The seventh year, the seventh year, the Sabbath year, uh, was called the year of Shemitah, and Shemitah means release. It was the year of release, the year of letting go. And in this year, uh, one of the things they couldn't do is they couldn't farm the fields. They couldn't go forward and they couldn't plant. They couldn't plant crops. They couldn't plant the crops to grow them and tend them and harvest them as they would at the end of the year. Well, for people who are living off of the harvest, that creates some interesting dynamics, right? Uh, Instead of being able to plant them and harvest them, all they could do was find out whatever just happened to grow up in the field. So maybe there was some grapevines left over from the previous year. Right, that, that just happened to stick around. But they weren't allowed to, to prune them. They weren't allowed to tend to them. They weren't allowed to weed around them. They just had to let whatever happened, happen. And when that happened, they could go out and they could grab those grapes and they could eat those grapes and they could survive from eating those grapes. But what they couldn't do is they couldn't go out and say, well, the grapes grew anyway, so I'm going to collect all them and store them and save them and sell them 
and profit from them and ensure my future for me and a future for my family. They couldn't operate business as usual. Every seven years, they had to take a year where they just let go completely, a year of release. They went beyond that. It wasn't just in how they spent their time and, and, and work and rest. In that seventh year, they had to forgive all of the debts that people owed them in that seventh year. That's a bad way to run a business, I gotta tell you. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't get very far with that. But every seventh year, they had to forgive the debts that they were owed them, and, and on top of that, in addition to forgiving the debts, we're, we're told that there was a passage that says, and just because you know the seventh year is coming, don't you get stingy and stop giving loans to people in that sixth year, right? If you know that, that six months from now, the day of freedom from loans is coming, may you not be people that, that take that into account and start letting that affect how you treat other people. This is about so much more than rest. This is about release. This is about letting go, letting go from the things that drive us. Letting go from the impulses that call us forward, saying we need more and more and more. The things that say that we have to do more, the things that say we have to accumulate more, the things that say we have to do better than we're doing. This is an intentional step to let go and say, I'm not doing that. And in doing that, it begins to shape the identity of the people that they are more than just debt collectors. They are more than farmers that ensure their own success. They are more than people who profit from whatever they can get their hands on. The year of release, the year of letting go, shapes them into that. And we see that for us, that Sabbath is not just about rest. It's about release. And not just releasing others in our lives, but it's about releasing ourselves it's about setting ourselves free from this never-ending thirst for more. It's about rejecting the lies that the world is nothing more than what we make it, and we have to make more and more of it. And it's about releasing ourselves from the false identity that we are what we do. There's so much more to us, and we realize that when we're able to let go. So what does it look like for us to practice this. Well, the practice we see from the scriptures is giving one day a week, primarily on Sabbath. One day a week, where not only do you rest and recharge, but one day a week where you take the thing that drives you, the things that normally tie up your emotions, the things that normally tie up your energies, your efforts, your goals, your dreams that you long for and you hustle for, one day a week, letting go of those things so that you can be more aware of who God wants you to be. And if that's what the Sabbath is about, then I would have to say that in some ways, pastors are really bad at that. Right? I've met so many pastors that just because they're in church, they think they're Sabbathing. But if you're a pastor, this, how this applies to you is if you're a pastor, you have to find another day other than a Sunday because it's about letting go of those things that you do. I think another interesting application of this is for us at South Bend City Church. A couple weeks ago, we took a week where we canceled church for a week, right? Now, how I grew up, like canceling church for a week would have been like, 
you guys are dishonoring the Sabbath, right? Like, you guys are shaming the Sabbath. You're supposed to be in church. The Sabbath is about going to church, and if you're canceling church, then you're canceling the Sabbath. What are you guys doing? But for us, it was so much different than that, right? Uh, with us as a church, we've been putting lots of time together, all of us, a lot of time and a lot of resources and a lot of energy and a lot of heart. And there's been a lot of really good stuff happening as we're building this community together, as God is building this community in us, right? Good stuff happening. And, and you know, there was some newspaper articles and there was some m momentum from that. And it was so important for us at that time to recognize that building this thing is not what we are to be about. It's not who we are. We are something more than just these things that we lay our hands to. There's something more going on than just that. What about for business people? How do we practice the Sabbath? Well, I would encourage you to consider one day a week. In addition to just coming to church, which is a good thing to, to, to be a part of a community and spend some time of your week to pursue God, one day a week, how can you let go of work entirely? How can you let go of business entirely? Not check your email, not check your phone, be able to set yourself free from the drive to keep going and going and doing more and doing more. And consider this, even further step, maybe not just you, if you have the, if you have the control, if you have the ability, think about what we see in that passage. Maybe in addition to setting yourself free for a day a week, maybe you set, find a way to set everything under your control free. You set your uh, relatives free. You set your cows free. You set your robots free. You set your employees free. What would it look like for us to really invest ourselves, not just into rest, but really invest ourselves into release so that we can find out who we're really meant to be? An interesting example of this is uh, of the Sabbath practice as a business is Chick-fil-A. Uh, just a quick disclaimer um, that this is not an endorsement of political positions involved here, uh, but just specifically as it relates to practicing the Sabbath. I don't know if you know this, but Chick-fil-A is only open six days a week uh, because of the practice of desiring to release uh, that has been with the company from the very beginning. So in six days a week, the interesting thing is in six days a week, per store, they actually uh, gross more profits than the next closest fast food restaurant per store does by 20%. 20% more during a week uh, with only six days instead of seven. But there's a disclaimer with that as well. This practice of the Sabbath is not a, a secret way to like trigger God's blessing uh, so that the business goes better for you, right? We don't practice the Sabbath because it's better business. We practice the Sabbath because it makes us better people. It reminds us of who God wants us to be. Right? Think about it as it applies to our households, right? So maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, right? What does it look like for you to practice the Sabbath? Well, find a day a week where you don't do the normal things you do to keep everything together, Right? If, you're, if you're a parent and that's, that's your primary role that you have going on, sometimes there's that pressure to keep everything in the house and the family and the children and everything together. So what does it look like to give one day a week where you're not? I mean, I get we still have to feed our children. Like, my kids would be very upset with me, right? But maybe you, like, prepare meals the day before so you don't have to do 
anything that day. Or maybe you save up money so that you can go to Taco Bell and get a double-decker taco for your child, right? <laughs> They're wonderful, I promise. <laughs> right? Or maybe that day, one day a week, you choose as a day that you're not going to touch your house. You're not going to clean. You're not going to empty the trash. You're not going to do laundry. And maybe your house looks horrible as a result. And maybe that's exactly what we need to be reminded of who we really are and that we are more than just the things that we do. Maybe you've been perpetually pursuing a job and your identity is getting wrapped up in your joblessness in pursuit of a job. Maybe you spend a day a week where you just let go of that for a moment and find out who you are again. What about beyond our time? You know, here uh, in the year of Sabbath, in the Shemitah year, we see other forms. What does it mean for us to, to apply these Sabbath principles to our finances? Right? To say, like, I'm going to make sure that I don't get caught up in the lie of thinking that who I am is this need to accumulate more and more. What does it mean for us to, to, to take every so often and give generously so that we're reminded of who we are and who we aren't? Or writing off some things that other people owe us, perhaps. Or what, how about if we take Sabbath towards justice, our own pursuit of justice for ourselves, right? That there's people who have hurt us. There's people for whom we deserve to be avenged. And instead of taking on the pursuit to do it ourselves, instead of taking on that pursuit to hold that grudge uh, and make sure that, that they never do that thing to us again, what does it mean for us to take some Sabbath release and say, in this moment, in this time, I'm going to decide to let it go of this. I'm going to free them and free myself. If you have your program uh, papers, on the back we have the Sabbath challenge. This is something we're going to do together this week, if you so choose. Uh, it's just a quick practice of what I said. Uh, it says this. It says, choose to release this week. We encourage you to spend a day releasing yourself from the obligation to make the most of yourself in your areas of responsibility. Or to engage in an act of generous giving or loan forgiveness as a reminder that you are more than what you can accumulate. Or maybe to write a note in your journal releasing someone from your right to revenge. Or whatever else it is. What is a way that you can practice this? I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Often when we get into practicing the Sabbath, we find ourselves in this really unsettling place when the things that have been driving us and identifying ourselves are stripped away. It's a little uncomfortable at times. So next week, we're going to come together and we're going to just uh, debrief this a little bit. If it's something you participate in, we'll talk about how it went for each of us. And I think it's going to be really great. As we close uh, into our next steps this morning, um, we're going to move into communion, uh, which is a really great practice. And I love the practice of communion. Uh, one, in that it, it's the table of Jesus that, that Jesus calls us uh, together. Anybody who wants to come can come to the table of Jesus. But two, uh, in this process, it's a meal, right? And the meals are the things that we pursue. Uh, and, 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 you know, back in the day, they would farm and they would harvest and they would do all these things to pre prepare the meal so that it would sustain them to do all the things they needed to do to continue to move through life. So it's fascinating to me in the practice that Jesus gave us. He gave us this practice of a meal, a meal in which the most important things in life, the most important parts of who we are, the most important things that really need to get done in life need just the nourishment of this meal, and it's a meal of receiving 
Not that we go out and we earn it with our hands, but we hold our hands out and receive the work of God through Jesus. Join with us in this practice.